Every time I retreat and Seattle said he gives everyone this reminder and he's going to tell us the same thing again. First of all, he wants to thank everyone who made this retreat possible. And that includes not only the managers, but all of you yogis. Because if, you, if these two worlds didn't come together, there wouldn't be a retreat. And coming together to practice the Dhamma, Syaro said, is a beneficial work. It's work that is beneficial not only for ourselves, but for others. Whenever Seattle went to the monastery to see his teacher and practice with his teacher, when he was going to go home, Seattle said his uh, teacher always told him the same thing, and he's going to tell you the same thing. Please don't stop practicing. Please continue practicing when you go home, while you're going home. And although, and although his teacher reminded him every time, he didn't go home and practice. <laughs> and it was only when he got into deep shit that he began to practice. <laughs> and he really began to practice. <laughs> and yet, Siara said even when he was in deep trouble, he didn't he didn't try to practice meditation because he thought it would help or because he thought, you know, it was a wholesome thing to do or that, you know, it was precious or there was helpful. Nothing. Said. He did it because he could not do anything else. It was a last resort. He tried everything else. He tried to have fun. He tried to take drugs again. He tried everything and nothing worked. They just felt worse now. <laughs> he said he realized... He realized in the end that with this mind he could go to the moon and he would not be free of what he felt. <laughs> so then he turned back to meditation. And he turned to meditation because he did know one thing, that when he tried to be aware of something, it made him feel a little less horrible. Because he felt horrible all the time at that time. Just a little bit. It was just a little bit less horrible. <laughs> Seattle says, not knowing, 
is a very hard place to be. It's a, it's a tough mind to live with, not knowing um, why the mind suffers, not knowing why the mind is happy, not knowing how to make the mind happy, not knowing how to make the mind's suffering stop. He says, we have all um, been in situations like this, Yara says, it's a hard place to be. He says, you don't even know what to do with yourself. It's so hard. Um, he says, you all know, right? All of us. When, we are, when we're young, especially, we don't know what to do with our selves we just we just do what we can but we're not really and as he practiced and watched um, and was mindful he says one question kept coming up in his mind that was why is the mind suffering and he practiced for years because of that question, because the mind was still suffering. Well, and he practiced for years, trying every day to increase the continuity of his mindfulness to um, stay on top of everything in his life and be aware and um, and he said it was years later like three four five years later that he began to realize that practicing the Dharma is something that you can never stop doing you can't um, because, because every time he practiced the Dhamma, the mind would calm down, it would feel better, and then then he would relax and stop practicing, and the agitation would start again. And he went through the cycle over and over, he said he got sick of it. He was like, he wasn't having this anymore. And he began to just keep trying to work at the mind and, and he, he stopped trying to relax from meditation because he realized that that's the nature of the mind and he realized you always have to do practice always have to practice he, he acknowledges that it is not easy to practice in real life because the place that the places that we usually practice or learn to practice are retreats. And so when we're trying to practice in real life, Seattle says it's like the environment is different and the people around us are different. He says, for many of us, it can be that, you know, retreat practice is fine and then practicing at home is more difficult. Why is that? He asked himself. Yeah, when he went to North America to, to teach, um, 
There was a joke that yogis said that, you know, it's like you get on retreat and you're a hero and you go home, you feel like zero. <laughs> Impermanent, okay. <laughs> it's like you'd have insights and everything on retreat and you can't apply anything when you go home. And it's not because the insights are not real, Seattle says. The insights are real, but they're not significant enough. The insights are not um, so entrenched or well understood that they are applicable in, through every um, through through the fabric of our life. So he said he remembers this yogi who every time he reported he talked about impermanence. He would talk about how he how free he felt, how you know, how he understood impermanence, it was impermanence all the way and then then he lost his shoes one day in the hallway. And he says when he looked at the yogi, the yogi looked totally lost. He looked Where is the impermanence? <laughs> Understanding he says, so when we understand a little bit, we think, because it's so amazing to understand even that little bit, we think that we understand a lot. He says, but it, when we measure it with life, and our experiences, then we realize it's not enough. He says when he first began, he first began to practice, he also felt that way. Every time he discovered something, it was like, wow, I know this. And he felt like he knew more and more, like he really understood things. And he says now with like, years, tens of years of practice behind him. Now every time he realizes something, he, he also recognizes how much more he still doesn't know. It's like for everything you know, you, you also see the rest that some yogis they you know they promise they promise him that they they will practice um and then he says when he goes to their home country they won't come to the retreats where he is because they feel bad because they haven't been practicing and they don't want to tell him. They, they feel like they'll be letting him down. They don't want to say that they haven't managed to practice. And there are those who try and they manage for some time and then it fades away. Mm. So he began to think about why and he realized that, first of all, at home there's no support. 
nothing external is helping us to be mindful or reminding us to be mindful here. There are, you know, the other yogis reminding us, the whole setting is about a retreat and so on. So there are constant reminders that that's what we're here to do. When he was, when he was trying to practice at home, his full, whole extended family knew, um, they all lived in a building together. They, they all knew that he was trying to practice and some of them found it annoying. What the is he doing? You know, they thought he was really... They found him really abnormal. It's like you should work hard at your business, which he was doing, but you shouldn't spend so much time on this and why are you acting so weird? Now, <laughs> <laughs> He says, we get on retreat, we're in retreat. And what do we do every morning when we wake up? We wake up and we think, oh, I have to be mindful. We, we, we you know, go to dinner and we're like, I have to be mindful. We, we get to a sitting, I have to be mindful. We get up from the sitting, I have to be mindful. But he says, what do we do right now? Just think of how we think of it about, when, about going home. What do we think when we... Think of getting home. Do we think, oh, I have to be mindful? <coughs> Probably some of us do have the intention, Sierra says, but it's, the intention can get lost in a sea of other intentions. Uh, <laughs> And that in that in that sea, that wave of intentions of all the things we need to do at home, besides be mindful, Seattle says the rest of the intentions come with real power because we've used those intentions have been powerfully used our whole lives, right? Those are the ones that 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 we're used to. Um, exercising all the time. So that's the power with which they'll come. And then we go home, Seattle says, and whose home do we go home to? Go home to my home. My home. My family. Everything. Everything we see belongs to me. Is mine. So the, so the wrong view is already operating very strongly, almost invi- invisible. And so whatever um, unwholesome wants to come in, it's going to come in strongly. Attachment, aversion, delusion, it's all going to be very <laughs> On retreat, he said, we can't, do, we can't do everything we want, right? There's, <laughs> a, there's a container. When we go home, can we do whatever we want? Already the mind is set free. <laughs> At home is where we feed the unwholesome mind. If, when possible, also the wholesome mind. But you know. <laughs> yeah, from from birth, Sierra says the mind. You know, there's wholesome and unwholesome, but the wholesome, you know, gets free reign too. Yeah. So that's why Sierra says in the definition of meditation, it's to cultivate wholesome minds. So we can do that. You know, 
at all. Oh, the boa I'm conscious with the Maya to say that give it a very alcoholic. So unconscious to us, the unwholesome can can come in easily. So we're going to to counter that. We have to consciously cultivate the wholesome. Oh, say be my life, say show like chin yeah low name. Say we have some confusion at home we're at home. We have some confusion, agitation. Can we calm the mind immediately? Do we have the skill? Do we understand the mind enough to know that it can, that it needs to even? I He says when we develop that kind of skill, then meditation makes sense and it's a joyful process. He's just saying that Yeah. He said he's just saying that in the balance of our minds, you know, uh, at home the unwholesome usually seems to have more um seems to have more room than the wholesome. And so we need to to build the strength of the wholesome, he said. We need to to make it so that the wholesome starts to have more room. And when the, when the wholesome minds um, become more prevalent in our minds, when they are more prevalent in our lives, Sierra says, then because the wholesome becomes more entrenched, Sierra says, then the unwholesome will still come, but they can't last long. They'll come and go. But... Sierra wants us to hold this information not as a goal, but as just information. Not like, you know, wondering every day when are we going to become like this. Because for each of us, it, it's different. Um, he just wants us to remember that this possibility is there so that we can have more faith in, in following the practice, in, in keeping ourselves present and wholesome. And what is life, Sierra says? Life is what is happening. Life is what is happening now. Life is what is happening in the mind. And... He says, and we want what's happening in the mind now to be dumb, to be wholesome. Because if what's happening now, what's happening in the moment is not dhamma and it's not wholesome, that means it's, um, it's going to be the opposite. And then that's what life will be. So we want life to be wholesome. And uh, So if we want to live life peacefully, meaningfully, wisely, Sarah says, this is, for him, this is the only way.
Då, uh. mm. Alltså, kan jag gå till den här någon? บ่ว่าสรอไอ้ตงกูเคยชื่อกันนี่กันนี่ลุกนี่นะบ่เราสิกสิกเนี่ยเลยผิดเลยมโนกันเนี่ยผิดมาวสิกันเนี่ยผิ
surely you can see, Sarah says, that when something is of great value, it it takes, um, you need to invest a lot in it. So it takes time and resources and, and patience. He says so often we we don't really value our own minds very much. We we think so many things are important as a like a like an indirect like that's a reflection of how important this mind is. But he says directly, we can see that this mind is so important because when we take care of this mind, he says, then this mind will also take care of all its relationships and, and work and everything and do it in the best possible way. So, Sarah says, imagine a family and the leader of the family is bad-tempered. How would that make the whole family feel? Or if the leader is wise, then how that makes the family feel. So our mind is important. And he says, with that thought in mind, that this mind is so important, Seattle says, please take care of it. Notice what thoughts um, sadden the mind. Notice what thoughts gladden the mind. And Sarah says, recognizing these things, if we are aware, we will recognize these things and cultivate the things that gladden the mind. And um, don't don't dwell on the things that sadden the mind. This is is taking care of the health of the mind, strengthening the mind. Um, We not just need to take care of our bodies, but we need to take care of our mind. Having anger in the mind is a disease, disease of the mind. Having greed in the mind is a disease of the mind. Sarah says, having anything unwholesome in the mind is a disease of the mind. So for the body, we need medication, Sarah says, and for the mind, we need meditation. Oh. Seattle also encourages us to find like-minded people, find friends who also are interested in the Dharma, get together regularly. Um, If you're far away, online, it's so much easier now. And discuss the Dharma, practice the Dharma, encourage each other to practice. When we discuss the Dharma, we give each other ideas about how we practice, how they practice. We we exchange ideas on how we can help 
how we can help ourselves to in, in, to to find our way through the his family um, is large. There's nine brothers and one sister. Uh, he's one among them. And um, when he began practicing in earnest at home and when he had stabilized it, you know, significantly um, about, yeah, yeah, two, three years into his practice, then um, he was different. Everybody knew he was practicing. And he says his brothers and sisters always gathered on Sunday at his mom's place. And they all came to eat. The Chinese, they eat. <laughs> um, and one day he he thought, let's do this differently. So he said, wait, 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 before we start eating, let's sit for 10 minutes, he said. And all of them meditate. His entire family has meditated. They all go to his teacher, everyone. And so they, they sat. And then after they sat and they were eating, he started asking them questions about their life. He started asking them, are you happy? Do you like the way you live your life? And he says, suddenly all these, all these stories started pouring out. And then all of them found it really interesting to talk about it and then and then every Sunday became really fun because they, they would come then and look forward to meditating and discussing life and how to meditate with him. So I don't know. So if we can help each other in that way, encourage each other in that way, that would be wonderful. And do go on retreats, Yaro said. It helps. It puts the brakes on the momentum of the way life takes over our mind and makes us forget to take care of the mind. Um, and he says, you know, in life we, like, all the hurry of our life takes over. He says, do you know why we get angry at home? Hello, when, Hello, do, you know, do you know why we get angry when there's a lot of things to do? When we're busy, why, why does the mind get more aversive? Why is it more impatient? He said, because when we are busy and in a hurry, Seattle says, we, there are many little things the mind wants. It wants to finish. It wants to finish on time. It wants to um, achieve all these little tasks. It wants to do things well. It has all these little yardsticks for itself. And every little one that we haven't achieved yet causes tension in the mind. And this tension builds, and that's version. So if each and So if each and every day, Seattle says we would notice the tension that is building in our mind, like if we can the sooner we notice it and 
pay attention to it and take care of it, the, the quicker the tension will release and relax. And then we don't build up tension in the day. He says what we tend to do is we, we don't notice, we don't take care of the mind. Work is much more important. We need to finish. So we keep doing the work and the tension keeps building. And because we've let it build for a day, when we try to then watch the tension, it takes a long time to calm it down. But if we did it often throughout the day, he says, um, you, you'd be amazed at the <laughs> He says, whenever you have any free time, five minutes in the toilet, coffee break, be mindful. <laughs> Just just those five, ten minutes in between activities, if you remember, if you can make it your intention and use that to watch how you feel, Re- recognize the tension, re- relax the tension. He says it's, it makes a huge difference to the quality of the mind at the end of the day. Mm. So, Loba, remind you, the so like a wise yogi said in one of the interviews, she's preparing to go on another retreat at home. And um, so he said, please prepare to go on retreat. And there's no hurry to get anywhere on that retreat because you have your whole life to run that retreat. <laughs> okay. So. Are there any questions? Does anyone want to say anything? Sierra asked. I'll just see what he said. He said the most important thing is to, to, to do it, yeah? That's mm. what matters. Yes? Um, one, one thing, like we often talk about continuous awareness. Um, I prefer I think, to use the word consistent. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's when I... So, so I think at some point, I don't know, maybe it's from an interview or some, something like... Uh, I think Sayyid... Well, some, someone said that, that, you know, that, well, obviously you can't be mindful all the time you yeah. will lose it you know throughout oh. the day yeah. and, and continuous doesn't mean that you know that you should be counting every time you lost it yeah, no. that's, that gets pretty heavy yeah so it's more like and, and more like persistent he says yeah. he just like wants us not to give up when we remember Seattle says he'll just do some maths with us he says how many hours do we sleep in a day Eight, maybe. eight, okay. Eight hours, roughly. No? So, how many hours left? Um, sixteen. Sixteen okay. hours. How many hours you meditate? How many hours do we meditate of the sixteen hours? Some people they say morning one hour, evening one hour, so. two hours. So, fourteen hours left. <laughs> what state of mind is that time? That time, what state of mind is? <laughs> so, unbalanced. <laughs> you cannot improve. Only two hours. <laughs> The meditating mind must be more than loss of uh, yeah. loss uh, awareness loss and awareness more. So you, how does your arm improve So the meditating mind, being aware of the being aware or doing something wholesome or 
or knowing that the mind is wholesome needs to be more hours of the day than when we are lost and not knowing anything at all. If there's more water, water can put out fire. If there's more fire, fire will put out water. So Siyadah says we um, need to help our wholesome troops. Yes. 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 Uh, What's the role of formal practice in that? Let's say you do it two hours or one hour or whatever. Mm -hmm. Is that good to sit eyes closed and kind of like this in in this artificial bubble or should that? Should the whole intention be to integrate that into the real life? Mm-hmm. Integrate the what into real life? The practice, just that you're not... Let's say I sit for two hours in a completely silent place where everything is controlled. Is that any use mm. for everyday life? Like, should all the practice kind of be like... Yeah, yeah. No, ตัวอย่างเนี่ยบ่ลูกโหโลโลโกญิงตั้นนี่แหละอะเฉยนี่โหยูบ่รอโหตะยาไทม์บ่รอบ่วนเนี่ยโหตะตงจาตะตงจา
And he says the reason he became like that was because in the beginning of his practice at home, and you know, he would get some peace. And then once he got some peace, he would feel happy. So then he would just want to enjoy life a little bit. And he's, but because of the state of his mind, he says the moment people started coming to his shop, he says, it's, it's as though they came to, to slap him or box him or fight him. He says his mind would f- get into such an agitated fuss that, you know, he says like it, it just completely destroyed any kind of happiness he had. And it happened over and over again. Then he started to realize that he needs to be ready to face these people. His mind just didn't have the resilience to face anyone. It was always shaking. So, so when he got happy, he stopped thinking that he could stop being mindful. He says, people never come to us for nothing. He says, they come to us with their stuff. He became really watchful. Became really watchful. Always mindful. He says, they they want something or they're going to smack you. They come with their unskillful minds and and if his mind is is in delusions, yeah, says, then he suffers. <laughs> he says the animals might not disturb him that much. The humans definitely would <laughs> in the marketplace at that time. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I have this feeling that maybe I've been tiring myself before, also with this like mm, practicing mm. and and before as in before the retreat before or? the retreat uh-huh. yes. and so now I'm a little bit wondering like I've been getting maybe some idea of that I've been just try, try, trying mm-hmm. and that's been tiring yes but also I have a little bit still this open question like what what would be fruitful to pay attention to to not become tired in ตัวอ่ะอยู่นู้นอ่ะสวยเนี่ยไอ้มาอเมียอาโทปุจูซ่าเองเป็นมั้ยล่ะอาโทนู้นอาจีนี่ตะลุเบ้อเลยจําแม
เออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออเออ
ไอ้ดิไซนี่ดาเปียงไลดิไซกะคุโดเซพิตาเลตุอนาหยายาวอ๋อเนี่ยเดอะไมน์เกตสไตร์ดบีคอสอิทส์เดอะอันอันสกิ
So continue. Yeah. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.